Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, Energized by Celsius. I am John Ledyard, along with Scott Reynolds, on a victory Monday here for the Bucks. Scott, it might have been a weird game. We have plenty to talk about, good and bad, from, from the game yesterday against the Vikings, a 26-14 Bucks victory. Very strange game, though. Uh, not only the time of possession thing, but just the fact, the way that the entire game kind of developed as you know offensively and defensively it really felt like it could have swung the other way and it didn't and the bucks were the ones that figured out how to close it out after a couple of close losses in recent weeks yeah and you look at at the vikings john kirk cousins really had done a great job in the fourth quarter up until sunday's game and i thought the bucks defense did a very good job in um in, in holding them to field goal attempts we say attempts because Dan Bailey did not come through for his team. Came through for the Buccaneers, though, as I said last night on the podcast. He certainly took on the role of Santa Claus and passed out some some presents for the Buccaneers and their fans. You know, missed field goal for you, missed field goal for you, missed extra point for you, and a missed field goal for you. So 10 points that would have, could have, should have for Minnesota didn't. That ended up playing a, a big role in this defense. But Tampa Bay's... Defense gets some credit for keeping the the Vikings out of the end zone, and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you know, and, and I, I think I think that's that's a good sign moving forward. Um, it's always better to try to give up field goal attempts than than touchdowns, and so maybe no the Buccaneers making some strides there. But you know, John, our podcast as always is presented by our friends at Celsius. Let's yes. go. John, it's a Monday, and you know what that means. It, it means I, I need a Celsius because Sunday's a big work Working day. Working on the two-point conversion <laughs> late last night. <laughs> and uh, Sunday's always a big day. Uh, I don't get a lot of sleep. I got to wake up in the morning at 7.20 uh, for WDE. Actually, I wake up at 6 o'clock, but I got radio at 7.20 with our good friends at WDE. So right around this time, I need a pick-me-up. And actually, I couldn't wait until today's uh, Peter Report podcast to have my Celsius. I actually had it at, at around one o'clock. So this is an empty can, but I tried new to me, not necessarily a new flavor, but, but the Fuji apple pear. And you know what, John, um, every once in a while, like I, I hearken back to my days as a kid and I, and I used to drink apple juice when I was a kid. And so I kind of have like a, like a, a craving yeah. for apple juice. It's just weird. But, but, uh, this thing right here is, is fantastic because it satisfies that craving. It's apple pear, but it's not tart and it's not too sweet. And, and the reason why no sugar and no preservatives. So, uh, it's, it's a, a fantastic flavor. I don't like all the flavors. I'm not shilling for, for all of the flavors, John, uh, you know, my favorite it's orange grapes right. a close second. This is definitely in the top five though. And I which like one's the- that did you say? This is the Fuji apple pear. Fuji apple pear, okay. And, right. and, and it's definitely in the top five. Um, my wife, Ashley, she loves the watermelon. It's not my favorite. I can't do it. Uh, it's, it's not in my top ten even. But this thing is definitely top five. I was, I was surprised by how good it tastes. Um, I shouldn't be surprised because Celsius, they make a great product. But, yeah. uh, 
but th this is definitely one of the flavors for me. And again, not too tart, not too sweet. Uh, it's just got a great taste and flavor to it. So if you're looking for a new flavor, check mm -hmm. out this this uh, version of Celsius for that fall. We're about ready to get into winter. It's still fall, so it's it's a great fall flavor. Hall, feel, hall feels like summer to me, brother. <laughs> first week, <laughs> first week in Florida. I just yes. forgot the seasons were a thing. I'm just gonna be honest. We, but. we don't really have seasons down here, John. We have hot and not so hot. That's, that's, that's right. really that's really uh, the the change of the seasons in Florida. Winter is measured in days rather than weeks or months. Is what I always tell people. But uh, so, how can you find where to get Celsius? Whether well, available at local grocery stores like Publix, uh, Target, uh, you can get them at your local convenience stores in around the Tampa Bay area and across the country. It's it's located in a lot of places. If you're looking for a specific location, you can go to Celsius.com, get on their store locator, right. and then put in your area code, and you can find out where Celsius is available. You can always do what we recommend. Go to PeterReport.com, click on the Celsius banners, take you to Amazon. You can buy them by the case and save some money. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had a couple people that have Picked up some Celsius, including Big Earn. Big Earn was saying yesterday he wasn't feeling that well, and he was wondering if Celsius could help. We didn't have a medical opinion for you, Big Earn, but it appar right. apparently just trying a Celsius, he says it cured him right up. He also said a Bucks win and a Steelers loss. God bless America. So that'll be the last time we hear from Big Earn for a while on the show. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about your fading Steelers, John. Uh, Listen, I would like to talk about the Buccaneers today. Let's just talk about, talk about the Buccaneers. Buccaneers. Although, let's just be honest, Scott. Like, there's such a difference. I've told you this, but there's such a difference covering the Buccaneers and covering the Steelers I covered for years. And one of the big differences is the fans. If you say something negative about the Steelers after a loss, you just get destroyed. I mean, they are so... They are just used to everything working out pretty much. You know, the, the team has always been good. Um, you know, they've had three head coaches. It's a great organization. And fans just kind of expect and they think everything the organization does is great. And if you are critical of them, especially during an 11-game winning streak and an 11-0 start, and if you're like, I don't think they're the top team in the AFC and I don't think they're really in the conversation and they might not be number two, fans kind of hate you. Uh, and But with the Bucks beat, they win a game. And the fans like are all like, oh, but the process was bad. And I'm like, well, I appreciate this. Like they see the process and they yeah. know that that matters for the result. But the problem is the result also helps. <laughs> this is a team yes. that is eight and five. And sometimes Bucks fans need to be reminded like, yes, there are some issues and yes, there are some weaknesses, but this is still a really good football team. And you haven't had that for a long time. So like be Rejoice. Rejoice, right. Bucks fans. Victory right. Monday is upon us. It sometimes feels like Bucks fans have a higher standard for the process than the than Steelers fans do, which is hilarious to me, based on you know the way right. that the organizations have been in recent years. This this guy right here, Jonathan, it's because we don't know what it feels like to be good. That's so true. Okay, mm. and, and listen, th th there was there was a time, and 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 you know, listening to uh, all of the uh, all the the feedback on our our PeterReport.com stories, right. Over the years, uh, I've, I've been on WDA, I've, I've hosted shows, co-hosted shows, I've been a guest. I've heard from Buccaneer fans for well over two dozens, and, yeah. and I kind of got the pulse in this team. And, and it really crystallized for me. In 2005, I went to the Bucks pa packers game up in Lambeau Field, but I didn't go up in the press box. I went with Buck fan tours uh, with a group of Buccaneer fans, about 100 fans, I think, and I wanted to sit in Lambeau Field and experience that environment, right? 
and I did. And there was a gentleman in front of me who kind of summed up, not all, but I think a, a pretty good semblance of what Buccaneer fans think and feel. And it's something like this. I was amazed listening to him. And it was a, a game the Buccaneers actually won. In the rain, Cadillac mm-hmm. Williams had a big game. And in that game, it wasn't like, let's go, Bucks. Come on, let's do this. What he was saying was, no interceptions, guys. Don't fumble. You know, and, and it's it's just a different mindset. It's it's you're expecting the worst as a Buccaneer fan, and you don't want the worst to happen. Rather than being optimistic and come on, let's go, let's take it to them. It's don't lose, don't lose. Rather than let's win, let's win. And and it's it's just from years of being shell shocked, right? Of being the kid that was picked on, the kid that that was was bullied, right? Um, for for decades, right? There was mm-hmm. there was another huge trench of losing before Tony Dungy came. The whole 80s really uh, was was just about a waste, including the early 90s. So the Bucks were the laughing stock. And then th- then they became the cool kid, right, with with the end of, of Tony Dungy and then John Gruden. And then after Gruden got fired, it's just been, you know, back to yeah. getting bullied. And so right. it's a mentality. And so I think Buccaneer fans, it's like they're they're good again, but they want to be great again, and that's mm-hmm. that's fine. That's great. We understand it because you were great once before, and you want you want to get out of 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 suck so bad, and you want to get yeah. into to to great. But sometimes you got to go through good to get to great, and that's why John, I predicted a ten and six season this year for the Buccaneers, and I hope that they do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not be shocked if this team is a one and done in the playoffs. I hope they do better, but I just don't see this team being Super Bowl caliber just yet. And maybe over the next three weeks, they grow and they show some improvement and they change and maybe they change in the playoffs. But John, did you see a lot of change yesterday from this Uh, Buccaneer team? Not really. You know, I mean, we'll talk about them and because it compares to the rest of the NFC and the state of the NFC. But, you know, I say all that to, you know, to then turn around and say, you know, your concerns are probably validated as Bucks fans. In terms of the process for the Bucks, not a lot changed the other day. I mean, again, in fact, if anything, they were more run heavy on first down, even when it was not successful uh, than before. If you take out the drive, obviously with 30 some seconds left in the, or 20 seconds left in the half, mm-hmm. that resulted in the field goal. Obviously, you're thrown in those situations. And you take out the drive at the end of the game where they're just trying to run the clock out and then kneel it down. They passed on four first downs during the game, and they <laughs> – and one of those was a first and 15 after the penalty. So obviously, um, or it should be obvious, I guess. And then they ran the ball on 14 of them, I believe. Yeah, 14 first downs. So it was ridiculously slanted to a run heavy approach on first down. Nine of those carries netted three yards or less. So remember, success rate for a first down at first and 10 is 40% of the yard to gain, uh, right. but, you know, by the analytical, by the analytic success rate. And so they would need at least four yards on a first down. And if you're going to run the ball to, to consider it a successful play and a play that statistics over the last, I think it's 15 years have shown gives you a good chance to get a first down. They yep. were not able to do that on nine of their 14 <laughs> rushing attempts. So it was very bad. And even the, the other ones, I mean, there was two four-yarders and two five-yarders, I think. And then they busted one on their second-to-last drive of the game for 14, I think, on a first down. So very, very bad approach to first down continued. It's been a problem all season. They are 30th in success rate uh, across the NFL uh, whether running or passing and they're like 29th and rushing out of all teams in the NFL. I mean, I'm ducking down there with like the yeah. jets and the Broncos, like 
that's where they are on first down. They're great on third down, you know, and and that's even more impressive considering how bad they are on first down. Right. Brady, what he's been able to overcome to get on third down in the red zone, cutting down turnovers and cutting down sacks in an offense that typically has not is not stand out in those areas. If you look at the history of Arians, they're very up and down all over the place. Right. Has been pretty incredible, but again, it's that process that gets you into trouble against mm-hmm. the better teams, and that's what Bucks fans get frustrated about. They want to see a process right. that's changing, and as we've seen, Scott, the the run heavy approach on first down has been the team staple all season long. Yeah. They yeah. are they are more run heavy than pass heavy on first down, and almost the right. entire league has moved in the other direction, and the Bucks continue to kind of stay where they are. Right. And, and I think one of the things, too, is when you look at, at yesterday's game um, and, and we kind of touched on this a little bit last night, uh, as, as much as I want to give the Buccaneers credit for doing some things well, like like no sacks. Right. The Vikings were awful in terms of, of pass rush. And that was before coming into the game. And, you know, they they had 21 sacks on the season, didn't get a sack yesterday. But yep. five of those came from Yannick Ngakwe, who wasn't even on the team. They traded him to Baltimore. So you're looking at a group that collectively had 16 sacks in 12 games. And, you know, I, I'm not surprised that, that that they didn't get to, you know, to Brady. And I want to give the offensive line credit for ensuring that that didn't happen. But at the same time, that was kind of what was expected to yeah. happen. Right. And yeah, so, you want to play great against bad competition. And they did. And as much as I want to give them credit for beating the Minnesota Vikings, the Vikings are not in the class of the Buccaneers. They're not in the class of the Rams, the Saints, or the Chiefs either. And those are teams the Buccaneers have just recently lost to. So um, this is a, a team, the Vikings, give them credit for beating the Packers 28-22. to We've seen Green Bay not be on top of their game a couple times. One of those times was here in Tampa, John, 38-10. to The Bucs handed them a, a massive L. But then you look at, at what the Vikings had done, and, yeah, they got credit for winning games. Winning games is hard. In, in, in the NFL, in any given Sunday, you know, you know the, the mantra, right? But they beat the Lions 34 to 20. They beat the Bears, a, a, a team that's just sliding down. They they won yesterday over the Texans, but that's that's not really much. Right. Of these days. I think they lost six in a row before that, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. They lost to the Cowboys, right? A, a, a Cowboys team that has won not even a handful of games yet. And then they they had to come back to beat a lowly Panthers team that has four wins in the season, 28-27. And they, they barely beat a one-win Jacksonville team in overtime, 27-24. So the win was expected over this Vikings team. I picked them to win. So did you. And I think a lot of Buccaneer fans felt that as well. But at the same time, um, I don't know how much credit I can give the Buccaneers for for winning here. And, and, I, and, and my concern is – is that that wins uh, in the coming weeks against the Falcons twice and against the Lions should they go three and zero down the stretch here to get to eleven and five still might not be the measuring stick of a playoff caliber team that this team's going to face in yeah. the first round of the playoffs. I mean, I give them credit for the win for sure. Like I think that they were the better team. Everybody talks about the Bailey field goals, and I get that, but I still think the Bucks were the better team in this were, game. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they started a little bit slower, but. Um, but I still think you know, they were the better team and they won. And so I'm, I'm okay with that in terms of the result moving forward. But I agree with you. Like this wasn't, if this was the game where people are like, if they come out and they smack the Vikings all over the field, then we'll believe like that this team can really be a threat. You know, maybe that's simplifying it, but to a degree, there was probably some element of truth in that. If they come out and look dominant in the last four weeks of the season and everything's clicking and rolling for a month, 
your chances of playing well, even against great competition, are, are going right. to you know are going to be a lot better. Obviously, that that would be what we call a great process, which yeah. is typical, or more typical, it leads to a great result. And so, there's a lot of elements to this. But we mentioned the running on first down; it was a problem all season long. They're one of the worst first down teams in the league. It puts them in disadvantageous situations. Better defenses like the Saints and Rams can take advantage of that. Right. The other thing that we talk about all the time on this show that's getting a little repetitive, I know, but I see fans even mentioning it now as I speak. You play action. I mean, you you wondered would they look at the numbers in the break and come out on play and throw more play action and, and do more with play action, and it just didn't happen. Uh, they threw six play action passes, uh, six play action dropbacks in uh, this game. Let me see if I can pull it up. I had it up. Uh, they threw six in this game. Brady completed four of them for fifty-seven yards um, and a touchdown. Uh, they, their yard per, uh, per play, uh, pass attempt was up considerably again. I think it was almost a yard and a half when they went play action, but they caught it six times and six times. That means that they were out of all teams that, you know, quarterbacks that played uh, like a full game the other yeah. day, they were like the fourth, the tied for the fourth least amount of play action pass attempts. So again, they're just not using play action. It doesn't matter to them how successful it is. Doesn't right. matter that it's basically it's a it is a cheat code for every team across the league. Mm-hmm. The numbers aren't something that they're they're just calling it when they feel like it. Basically, yeah. they're calling it when they usually around midfield. They look for a shot playoff at around midfield. Yeah. It's becoming pretty predictable when they use it. I haven't hit quite as many big plays off of it. They did hit the one to Evans down the sideline. Uh, the whole shot throw from Brady was terrific. But um, it has you know it's just gonna the reality is that they have play action. This thing that works so well for them. And Leftwich is going to say he has no idea. We know this. We've asked him about it. There's really not much, you know, everybody's going to say, you know, oh, you know, we need to, you know, to ask the coaches about it more. But I mean, what else are we supposed to say? Like, we've asked, we've brought it up, we've shown them the numbers. We, we, you know, I'd, it's hard to, they're not giving us a straight answer with it. It's pretty clear if you examine the history of Bruce Aaron's offenses, yeah. he just doesn't like to use much play action. And so, it makes things harder for you and their bucks are just kind of making things harder for themselves this season and on offense. And that's kind of where the concern comes in. They can get away with that and they can, it can look good, you know, because they have so much talent against teams that are, that are struggling and and frankly don't have the talent to be able to match up with them. But at the end of the day, it's a tough process to continually put out over and over again and expect that result to stay positive because there are just easier options to gain yardage easier options uh, to get better results on first downs and they're not really taking them. So again, it's just a frustrating process, I think. Yeah, it is. And uh, you know, I, um, I, I, I hear a lot of the gripes and the complaints about it. I'd like to see it more too. At the same time, um, I thought Brady made some strides yesterday and you know, I, I think that, that the, the Bucks, first quarter woes are, are falling on Tom Brady's shoulders. I think that he needs to complete more passes. I think he only had two pass attempts in the first quarter, but, but, uh, four, four in the first quarter. Yeah. Four, yeah. Two one for four. Yeah. Or we, it was yeah. one of four. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, I think that he, he needs to do a better job, right. As the definitely single. in this game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not blaming everything on him, but he's the trigger man of this offense and he's the guy that can audible to, a more favorable run or pass if he wants to. So I'm going to put the onus on him a little bit. At the same time, I'm going to give him credit for for having two touchdowns, no interceptions, a pretty clean game from him uh, outside of a couple of those missed throws. Uh, the interceptions, you know, he's 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 uh, he's going to throw more interceptions this year 
in, in a new system, especially a system that's designed to take shots like this. That's That's been the MO for Bruce Arians quarterbacks in year one. We certainly saw Jameis Winston take a quantum leap with 30 interceptions last year, including seven pick sixes. Uh, but I think you're still going to see Brady end up with less interceptions than he's thrown in his career. I think his career high was 14. I could see him top out around there. And it's going to be half of what Winston threw last year. That's the big reason why they made the – the switch, but I think you're also going to see him end up with, with, uh, with more touchdown passes than Winston and break that single season record. So I'm optimistic that next year will be a much better, smoother year. And you're going to have an off season where Brady and Leftwich and Tom Moore and Ty Christensen and Arians can collaborate and, and really make some changes. Uh, Cause it's so hard right now, John, to, to, you know, this is a moving train, right? Uh, there's not a whole bunch of wholesale changes you can make offensively and defensively. Your game planning, the, the vast majority of your week is spent looking at the opponent and finding the best ways to exploit what which you can against your opponent in terms of their weaknesses, while at the same time uh, protecting your own weaknesses, safeguarding them, and yeah. uh, and not giving the defense an edge. So. Right, I, I think we're going to see a, a better offensive product uh, when it comes to 2021. At the same time, what concerns me, John, and we've talked about this, you and I, is this offense has got to really click and perform mm-hmm. into and and in the playoffs because this defense is it is what it is, right? Right, right. Yeah, we've talked about that too. I mean, defensively, I think there are limitations on how good this group can be. Um, but offensively, yeah, what's what's was comforting to me about this is that other than the approach, you know, in this game at least, the approach on first down again still needs to change. I don't understand why they don't use more play action. What was good was that it felt like they were more diverse with the routes. Again, again, I'm yet to watch the all twenty two. It dropped right before we went live, I think. Um, and so I, I've yet to really study that, but it felt like watching the game live and being at the stadium, there were more like there were some different route combinations and some things that they hadn't done before in that capacity. So maybe that helps and boost things a little bit. If you think back through the game, there really were very few plays where the Vikings stopped them on any given play, you know, where you were like, man, that's a great play by their secondary. I mean, other than the incompletion to Scotty Miller on the third down right before I'm trying to think on the, on the, on the bucks third to last drive of the game uh, when they went three and out. The only time they went three and out and, and since their second drive of the game, the incompletion mm-hmm. to Scotty Miller was a great uh, trap call uh, yeah. and coverage by Mike Zimmer. But that was really, I mean, other than that, Brady missed the two early. You know, like I said, there was a miscommunication right. on the on the third pass of the game or second third pass of the game. Yeah. Um, and, and then he missed the two down the field. It could have been big plays. Other than that, I mean, it was like there was a couple drops. Mike Evans dropped one. I'll clear right. on a gorgeous pass from Brady. Yeah, I mean, like it was really like it was pretty much whatever the Bucks wanted to do when they did have the ball. And they only had 46 yeah. meaningful offensive plays in this game, Scott, which yeah. is crazy. It is. And they put up 26 points. And so it, and, and you know, only had the ball for 20 minutes. That's what it, I mean. Like 20 it was, minutes of possession. Right. It, it, honestly, if you like if you want to say, oh, the offense should have put up more than 26 points. Well, to be honest, you know, that's probably on the defense, you know, for for letting the Vikings possess the ball and work it into the deep into Bucks territory, deep into Bucks territory. On almost every single drive. I mean, they got to the Bucks 35 on almost, I think, all but like one drive uh, before the right. Cousins fumble, uh, the yep. strip sack by JPP. So it was really um, 
pretty, you know, the defense was being dismantled and they rose up in the red zone and I give them credit, but Buccaneer right. Bruce is mentioned here and we appreciate the super chat from Buccaneer yeah. Bruce and from big earn from big earn too. Thank you. Yes, big earn. We will shout you out and say, I didn't understand big earns comment, but if he can clarify, I will post it up here and I will talk about it, even though he talked trash on the Steelers. Um, Buccaneer Bruce says for the first time I noticed Devin white loafed for an entire series. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure about whether he loafed or not. I haven't seen that yet. Um, I need, I'll need to, you know, like I said, I'm going to watch the tape, but I just, uh, I mean, this is, it's frustrating, Scott. Like I was texting you guys in the group chat. I'm rewatching the first drive of the game on a broadcast. And I mean, he just looks lost. Um, So I'm going to watch the whole game. I know his pro football focus grades, you know, are obviously bad again. Um, They're they're not exactly the biggest fans of Devin White either. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's been they've consistently graded him pretty poorly. Um, I've said that I don't think he's played as poorly as their grades, but I also don't think he's played very well. So, um, so I I'm not going to quibble about it too much. But the bottom line is, regardless of their grades, like this is a guy that has to get better. And again, it's like, okay, there's limitations in coverage. We know that, but at least like as a run defender, I mean, that was where most of the struggles were in this, you know, first drive, first two drives. And so, yeah, I mean, he's in year two, so I'm not writing him off. It's a hard position for sure. In the NFL, he obviously has every trait that you want. He's physical, he's aggressive, he's he's smart. And, you know, we just, there just doesn't seem to be like the instincts uh, to read it out on a consistent basis. So, you know what? And and listen, I I think everything you're saying and everything I've said, I've I've been critical of Devin White too. And and I probed some of my sources at at one buck in your place and all at all parts of the building. Uh, to get their their take on on Devin White and not just White, but Sean Murphy Bunting, Jamel Dean, Mike Edwards, uh, you know Anthony Nelson, really that entire draft class from last year, and and you know I don't want to give anybody a pass. I'm not trying to make excuses. And to be to be perfectly candid with you, Buccaneer fans out there, I didn't hear any excuses. I didn't hear any. I I, I had to probe several people to kind of get them to admit that, yes. And I even asked Bruce Aarons today in the press conference, and he was the most candid of them all in terms of of agreeing with my premise, which is this. At at almost any level, whether it's high school, college, pro, certainly, the biggest leap that a player will make in terms of growth is between their rookie year, freshman year, whatever, their first year, and their second year. Because they have – their own footage on tape that they can go back and rewatch in the spring and there's no game planning and they can focus solely on, on what they did wrong and correcting their mistakes and, and, and working within their offense and defense and, and not having to worry about anybody else's. And that didn't happen this year. There was no OTAs. There were no mini camps and, and players like Devin white literally lost 400 snaps in the off season, 400 plays that that he wasn't out there for and anthony nelson and and all the guys i just mentioned and then you, you take into consideration the truncated training camp three weeks instead of five weeks and no preseason games and there just yeah. wasn't that legitimate development time and so i i think that some of these guys have hit a wall developmentally i think we saw that with sean murphy bunting we've seen that with devin white to a degree I, I think anthony nelson's gotten better but he certainly hasn't made any breakthroughs as a pass rusher. I thought he had some good rushes yesterday. But this is a guy that still has yet to get his first NFL sack. And right. he's, been, he's been getting plenty of playing time this year. So I think we need Bruce to just – said he's having a heck of a year. I don't know, Scott. Well, 
he's having a heck of a year for not having an offseason, not having training camp, not having a preseason. That's kind of mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, is I'm not trying to give these guys a pass. I'm just trying yeah. to explain why we haven't seen more from them and why they haven't really taken their game to the next level because they haven't had the opportunity to. This is a train. Once the season comes, there's not a lot of de- developmental time. The 75% of the effort is put into the game plan for that week. And the fundamentals and correcting some of those things, it just doesn't happen because everything is matchup oriented. You're studying your opponent, not mm-hmm. yourself on a week-to-week basis. See you, Viking Jerome. Thanks for stopping into the to the Bucks podcast <laughs> to just continue to wallow in your loss. Must suck. Um, no, I think that you're right in some ways. Like the, year two is big. I mean, you know, year two, uh, you know, it should matter. Um, and that development time they didn't get definitely plays a part in it. But I mean, at the same time, as as right as you are, you know, it doesn't mean that the, you know there are still concerns. Obviously, with not yeah. only with him, but like Anthony Nelson, for example, like, you know, Bruce is, is blowing him up today, and I, I don't even have a problem with Like, for a fourth-round pick, Anthony Nelson's fine. He just can't be your number three edge rusher. Like, you can't right. be – you have an older edge rusher in Jason Pierre-Paul that you want to, you know, kick inside situationally. Like, you'd like to do more things with him, get him matchups, and you just can't do that. You don't have a third guy right now. And so yeah. Anthony Nelson just played a career high in snaps. I know he, he kind of reached over a guy and almost knocked the ball from Cousins, but it re- I mean, he didn't win the rap. You know, it's just kind of Cousins' facial yeah. awareness. So again, it's, it's like I I don't know what the upside is with Anthony Nelson. You can't go into next year and be like, this is a guy like this is yes. when JPP retires after next season, like he's going to take over. And like, no, it's not in the cards for Anthony Nelson. We we know who he is. And, and I like John, to have him on the roster, but just, yeah. you know. And and I think too, right? These guys are all on the rookie deals, and and I think the telltale sign will be. We've had a football season this year, so we will have an off season next year, right? That um, they've navigated COVID, they've got all the procedures in place, they're practicing right now, so there will be OTAs and mini camps. There mm-hmm. will be a more training camp. We'll see if there's going to be preseason games. That's going to be determined between the league and, and the, uh, the the players' association. I would suspect we'll have some preseason, maybe two games rather than four. But I think that that. The, the growth that takes place between this offseason coming up and next year will be a better determining factor about the future of some of these guys in Tampa for the long haul. In other words, right. the, the, the growth that we were supposed to see this year that hasn't really happened, if it doesn't happen between next year and um, – or, yeah, between next offseason and next year, then I think that that's cause for, right. for some real concern. Right, you're definitely not ready to give up on on somebody like Devin White or right. anything like that. Uh, yeah. Just just wish he was better this year. And the fact that he isn't this year and probably won't be this year means right. that the Bucks have that hole. And again, if they're not going to take him off the field, I mean, he's played every snap for nine straight games. If the Bucks are yeah. going to take, take him off Here's the field, question, then John. they're kind of in a situation where they need. I want to get your thoughts on this. This is from Logan Merrick. Uh, what do you think about the fact that Bucks? that Bruce gave the guys off uh, and, and didn't self-scout. In other words, didn't use part of that week to practice and get some extra work in uh, rather rather than just doing what he did, which is take some time off and, and rest and recover. Well, I think they, you know, that's a pretty normal practice to take the time off. Uh, the self-scout thing, again, like fans have to understand that Bruce Arian says a ton of things that just aren't, accurate and aren't true like about himself he'll say like 
like he's referenced self-scouting a bunch, like a, a couple times since then saying that they did do it after saying we don't really need to do it. So yeah. again, it's literally just like Bruce is just not, you know, I know co- people say coaches lie and that's true, but Bruce is not really even lying. I just, he just doesn't really care about whether what he says sounds like or how, what the context of it is. It's hard to, it's hard to put into words unless you like are listening to him on a day-to-day basis and just realize like he literally just says things that come to his mind. Like he, yeah, you can read not like, lines, right? We're in, the, in yeah. these things. We, we know what Bruce, what Bruce says isn't always what he means. Right. You know, there's, there's sometimes a disconnect. And, and I think the thing too, and, I, and I'm trying to read Bruce's mind a little bit, but I think what he, that what he's trying to convey is, is the bye week is not a magic bullet where oh we don't have a game to to prepare for sure. so we're gonna we're gonna go in and fix everything that's wrong that doesn't really happen. Um, what, what I've seen during some bye weeks is when when they fire a coordinator right and somebody takes over during the bye week then yeah things will change on a more drastic basis. Mm-hmm. But the, the bye week is not the magic bullet that fans want it to be where, oh, everything's going to crystallize and these coaches will have time to put it all together. And and I, I think that's kind of what Bruce means when he says, you know, we're not going to self-scout because he knows 12 weeks into the season, they're not going to do wholesale changes. They're not going to to sure. make a bunch of, of fixes. And that's I think, why I talk about motion too. And I'm like, I, you know, everybody wants more motion at the snap for the box. It's just not going to happen. Like you don't put that in and see, that's literally like a schematic thing. That's not just like yeah. a play calling tendency, like play action or something like that. Yeah. Now here's one thing, John, you and I've kind of talked about why is our player running routes in a pretty important series close to the game. And, and this is something too, that, that, that even kind of concerned me was, was the deployment of, of, of things, right? Like, why do you have Cameron Brait on the field when you're trying to get down the field quickly to get into field goal range, right? Because if you remember, Brady's first throw right before the end of the first half was to Cam Brait, right? Yeah. Short pass to Brait. They had to call a timeout afterwards, right? It got a couple right. yards. Then he hits Antonio Brown. And then there was the Hail Mary attempt. Well, why is Brady even on the field? He's not going to get you any yards after catch. And, and curiously enough, Scotty Miller, I remember I said, why isn't Scotty Miller out here? At least he's fast, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yes, as they got down towards the Hail Mary, Scotty Miller, all five foot ten of him, is not going to win any jump ball. So you don't want him in that situation. I agree with you on that. But I'm just curious as to as, as to the, the personnel deployment. Why is it, why is Anthony O'Claire going out on a route? Why is Cam Brady being used? In, in in situations where ideally fine you want three yards and it's it's third and two and you want to convert a first down or a third down, put him in. You want him around right. the goal line as as a weapon in the end zone, put him in. But that's the part where I scratch my head, John. Yeah, that and I mean we had Mark Schofield on the podcast a couple weeks ago and he wrote after the Chiefs game about how the Bucks were down 17, maybe at that point in the game. I forget, something like that. And they're marching and they're they're going, it's like second and nine, maybe. And they're going 13 personnel. <laughs> I think it was play action. I don't even remember. I think they're going 13 personnel and throwing the ball out of it. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, like no one is falling for this. Like, yeah. they're just gonna keep their nickel defense on the field. And if you want to run it, great. But like, you're not this juggernaut running team that they just are so afraid to match up yeah. against with it, you know. So there are classic instances of the Bucks 
just kind of overthinking things in personnel deployment. And that, that I will say, I mean, has to fall somewhat on left, which I mean, I, you know, as much as I've said, uh, you know, we, everybody wants to say left, which, but really like that design of the offense is there. And that left, which is calling the plays. Of course, there's been problems with that. And there is with, with every, you know, offense with calling plays, but like a lot of that is on Arians in, in that regard. But the, the thing that is, I mean, the personnel deployment is crazy. Like, I mean, John, the, the yeah, I pass was Scotty Moore get yesterday. You did the story, you did the snap count. Yeah, five snaps for Scotty Miller and Anthony O'Claire played like I don't even remember. It was like eighteen or something like that. I'll look up the story. But Cameron Brate's playing like twenty four and fourteen. Fourteen. 14 so for O'Claire, four for Scotty Miller. I'm sorry, five. O'Claire's five. yeah, five for Scott. So O'Claire's almost tripling up Scotty Miller in snaps. Right. I mean, it just again, like a part of it's you're trying to find good matchups, and they clearly they wanted the they wanted the um the the Vikings linebackers without Eric Kendricks on the yeah. field and uh, without Anthony Barr either uh, on the field right. and so that was kind of like a, a thing that they want but here's the thing your tight ends aren't that great so like just don't <laughs> don't try and do that like I mean it can't break a good you know he's a solid player yeah. but I don't know if that's like is that your like you matchup like in certain roles right yeah, but they also have Cameron Dantzler and 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 Jeff Gladney and and yeah. Chris Boyd at corner, and you have Mike Evans. So maybe that's a good match, you know. So it just again, it's just kind of like overthinking a little bit, I think. Um, and obviously, you know, we took we didn't talk about this enough, really. But and I I do blame Brady for for the misses, the two misses early on. But neither of those guys were his first reads on those plays. I don't think either of them were his second reads. You know, Godwin was in the scramble drill that he found yeah. him. That was after things broke down. The Vikings kind of blew the coverage. And and the same with the Scotty Miller touchdown. Like Brady had to read it right. out. Uh, that As yeah, Arian said today, I think that he thinks that was like his fourth option, right? So, you know, it was yeah. – it's kind of like a – there's there's a lot of this kind of fits together in the way that like I think some of the things the Bucks tried to do in the passing game weren't necessarily right. working, but, but Brady found a way as the game went on to kind of make it work as he got – and the offensive line too. I mean, the protection was great. And like you said – Vikings can't rush. So, um, but then later in the game, there were some better things. The, the, the crossing routes to AB was definitely, again, yeah. like, how can we take advantage of linebackers who are bad, especially in coverage, but with our best players? You know what I mean? That's what they still yeah. get them horizontally across the field. And they did do a good job with that with Godwin and with, um, and with Antonio Brown. And they were able to get great gains off of it every time they went to it. So there were some good things. But again, that the tight end usage continues to be really, really curious. Speaking of, of big gains, uh, big earn 849 coming in with another super chat within today's podcast. I want to formally request that none of these super chats go to Cook's camera after he almost flashed us his manscaped masterpiece. Lord help us. Well said. You need to look up masterpiece though, big earn. Yeah, true, exactly. Not that we have looked at Mark Cook's masterpiece. Uh, no, I just mean the word, like the definition uh, of the yes. word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Fred, uh, uh, here's okay, you can do this one, and then I've got another one. Uh, why does it oh, seem to always take the Bucks at least a, a one quarter to execute with offense and defense? They need to figure out that if they want to win the playoffs. I agree. Uh, I yeah, was, that didn't change at all. That's another thing. Change. I'm glad Haley mentioned that. It, that's yeah. another thing that didn't change. Like They might not have given up points yeah. in the first quarter, but right away in the second quarter, you know, they gave up two lengthy drives and they did get the fortuitous sack. I give them credit for that. But at the same time, the larger sample size of the first quarter continued to be very bad on both sides yep. of the ball. Yep. Sports maniac. How do I donate a hundred dollars and where, um, if you don't know how to do it with the, the super chat feature on YouTube, what you can do is you There's can There's like a little dollar sign in the corner. Yeah. You can do that 
would gladly yeah, accept that. And if you want it to go towards Cook's camera, we can put it there. Or we can put it towards uh, our constant revamps on PeterReport.com and the Peter Report podcast. We'll be getting new cameras, uh, whether you all like it or not, uh, after the, the first of the new year. So maybe yeah, in time, about playoffs, we'll see what Santa has in mind. Uh, but uh, that's how you do it. Or if you want, you can go to uh, PeterReport.com. And we've got um, our donation uh, button there. You can click on PeterReport.com backslash donation at any point in time. And you can contribute $10, $25, $50, $100, or whatever denomination you want to as a one-time donation. You can also join our monthly donation uh, list. And we've got a bunch of subscribers that do that and, and give us a monthly donation on a, on a monthly basis. Starters, um, $3 a month. All pros, $5 a month. Or you can be a Hall of Famer, $9 a month. So you can go to pewterreport.com donation if you're in the spirit of giving. Uh, and we certainly appreciate that. This is been a uh, you know certainly a, a challenging year for pewterreport.com as as it has been for almost all small businesses uh, across the country and so your support means the world to us whether it's via super chat or by going to pewterreport.com backslash donation thank you frank cabano with a, a good question earlier in the chat that i wanted to come back to why don't the bucks ever run toss runs let their athletic tackles get out in space and move people um, they have run a crack toss maybe three or four times this yeah. season. Most of the results have been pretty good on that. Donovan Smith murdered somebody yeah. in one game this year. I forget even which game it was now, but he just wrecked somebody. So they have had some positive results with it, which is good. I, mean, I think it was the Carolina game, actually. Um, but the reality is the Bucks run scheme is probably one of the most basic I've ever seen. I mean, they never run outside the dead. They all, everybody's oh, Rojo bounced outside, LaShawn McCoy bounced outside. Those yeah. are bounced runs. Like those are not intended. You know, those are when the corners are giving up leverage or they are not replacing the cracks on the outside. They can read it out that way, but they never really try to get outside other than that crack toss where they called a couple times a season. You know, once in a while you see him running outside zone, and I'm I'm okay with that, as you and I talked about yesterday, Scott, at the game. Right. If you're not really an outside zone team, don't run outside zone because it's really hard to do without a lot of practice teams that are outside zone heavy, like the Vikings and the 49ers and teams like that. That's what they tend to really run on. Now the 49ers have built on it, but they are the rare exception to that. So I say all that to say the bucks don't really find ways to get outside the tackle. And so it does make their run game easier to defend inside the tackles. I'm trying to paint this as carefully as I can, as clearly as I can for fans inside the tackles. If you are running the football, the best thing you can do is get defenders out of the box simply because you can get five of six things right in the one thing you don't get right in those close spaces where the running back has no ability to kind of make people miss for the most part and create an even build up speed to break tackles. The, the, the margin for error is just so small. You can hit five blocks, but if the sixth one doesn't hit or doesn't hit well enough for the running back, there's just so many variables that have to work well when you are sure. running into a box with a lot of people in it because yeah. you want to find space and there just isn't space by just the science of what you're doing. So why it's taken teams this long to realize like, oh, just line up and 13 personnel and crushing people uh, in a loaded box probably isn't the way to go. Let's spread the field and run more out of that. You know, that's so when the buck when I see the Bucks have played, you know, three tight end sets for a majority of the game, and you wonder why they can't couldn't run the football outside of like two plays, you know, it's when two of those were improvised bounced runs. 
you know, because the Vikings corners just were totally out of whack. I mean, you rookies that were totally out of whack that the Sean McCoy bounce outside was because the corners were bad and Rojo on the first play or one of the plays in the Bucks last scoring drive, second drive of the game was because of that. But when you're talking about within the context of what the Bucks were trying to accomplish in the run game, they're very easy to defend and they had very low success rate, even against the Vikings. Uh, within the context of their scheme. And it's not because their offensive line sucks, and it's not even because their running backs aren't that great, although that's been a problem over the years. It's really because the scheme is just predictable, and it's harder to be successful where they try to run. You know know what's so predictable, too, is – is this team for as much uh, between the tackles running as they do, they will they will go in into 12 and 13 personnel and then run between the tackles with, with two or three tight ends out there. And mm-hmm. all that does is signal to your opponent to get at a nickel, go to base, stack the box, bring the strong safety down, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and, and so, you know, if you want to play action off of that, okay, but you know, you've got Brait and, and Altair in the game and they're not, guys that, that are going to contribute a whole bunch in the passing game vertically, right? So to me, all you're doing when you go to, to, to a, a lot of 13 personnel, especially, right, especially when they bring in Joe Haig as the ex, extra tight end, the offensive tackle, uh, you're, you're just telegraphing that you're going to run the ball. And where are you going to run it between the tackles? Because your tight ends don't do that great a job of blocking, even Gronkowski. I think Gronkowski got blowed up a couple times. It, we were talking about that in the I'm like, wow, yeah. Ron, you know, got leveled back there. And so um, I, I would much rather see this team come out and run at a four wide uh, personnel rather than, than 13. They, they just don't have the scheme to, you know, to, to do the, the zone blocking and, and get the tight end on, on the edge and, and really carry the place to the perimeter that often. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, like you said, on the one hand, if it was a, this really diverse run scheme, maybe they would just fall in love with it more often. They, they did the other day, and again, you know, the really the run game wasn't very successful on first down. But again, the Bucks continue to be a really good second and third down rushing team. Yep. Wonder why that is, Scott. They have one of the highest EPAs in the league when they do run. Now they hardly run in those situations, yep. and we were happy that they ran on a lot of third and shorts. And guess what? It was successful yes. rather than going empty out of we were third. Talking about it in, in the press box, right? And, yeah. and, we, and I said, I said, John, it's third and two. What do you do? You run the ball, right? right. Especially when you have a quarterback and an offensive line, especially a center, Ryan Jensen, that is so good at, at picking up fourth and one with quarterback sneaks. Right. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a very successful play. Now, now I just put that that question up there uh, from James Barry. I thought we were at the one yard line after the pass interference call. This is right before halftime. Uh, why you know why we should have uh, gone for the touchdown, thrown a slant to God when it's almost uncoverable? It's just one of those things that that the objective right before the half was to get points, was to get into field goal range. That happened to be a gift that you get the the DPI call on Minnesota, the ball's placed at the one for one on, untimed down. It, it, I'm of the opinion that you stick with what you were initially trying to do, which was get into field goal range, get the field goal. Guess what? At, at the one-yard line, it's a 19-yard Ryan suck-up automatic field goal. You take the automatic points, especially, John, since the Bucks started the second half with the ball. And, and I think that worked out well. That was the 10-point swing Bruce Harris was talking about because they scored a touchdown in the third quarter. Um, I think maybe against a better opponent, maybe in a playoff game, maybe you have a, even a little bit more no-risk-it, no-biscuit, and you do that. Right. But – but I think in that situation, I don't fault Bruce Arians at all for going with with the reliable three points in that situation. 
anything could happen, right? You, you don't have a timeout. It's one untimed down. It's it's pass fail. It's touchdown or no points. Right. And I think the three points were, were better than the risking of no points in that situation. Right. I mean, you know, and I think the run game, What you back to what you were saying about the run game, because I, I agree with you, I think. On, I mean, I, I might have gone for it, but I, I don't fault him at all for kicking the field goal. Yeah. But back to the run game for a second, you know, I, when the, the that's why I think it's so interesting that the Bucs are this run heavy on first down because actually on second and third downs where they found their success. And if they used analytics more to their advantage, they would see that every analytic says this team can run the football. They're just running it on the wrong down and in the wrong right. situation. And exactly. because of, when you get into second and third down, when the Bucs, even though they hardly ever run the football, everybody's preparing for them to throw. Think about how many times they've thrown out of third and empty. Well, guess what happens? Sean McCoy can run up the A-gap untouched for That's 10 right. yards because yes. schematically Amen. you're in a situation to, to run do. the football now. Right. So it's just thirty three are are rundowns, not just passing right. downs, but but when you go empty, right, and you don't have a back in the backfield, um, you're telegraphing to the defense. You're making it easy, especially with with a, a quarterback who's not mobile in Tom Brady. Now we saw Kirk Cousins a couple of times go empty, right? And then follow the center right up the gut for for a first down on a on, on a legit quarterback sneak. That was like right. quarterback scramble up the middle, um, and that's just kind of bo- poor scheme design. Not accounting for a more mobile quarterback like Kirk Cousins, but yeah. but as as again, I'm going back to my roots as a, as a pop Warner defensive coordinator. Third and two, third and three. You want to be in the situations. Why? What does everybody tell you? What does every TV commentator tell you? Uh, because of of the 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 option to run or pass, right? And, and, and sometimes you got to run the ball in those situations. And then if you get, you know, two yards and it's all of a sudden it's, it's fourth and in inches or fourth and a foot, then you go for it. Right. I mean, that to me is, is winning, but I don't like, I don't like empty uh, on third and two and, and where you make that strictly a passing down because it just tips off the defense. It makes it too easy to try to defend it. And of course you should have a three yard passing play, right? You should have a, a smoke screen, or a quick slant or something. But even even when we saw them try um, that quick slant to Scotty Miller, as you mentioned, John, Vikings uh, snuffed that out quickly, clamped it down, and that was an incompletion. The Bucks had to punt. So yeah. it doesn't always work, even with their short passes on third and short. Uh, bigger and ass, I love Scotty Miller, Scoot Miller, but do, who do you sit down to give him more snaps? Uh, I think he's better in a situation where he's running loose, rested. You would sit down one of the tight ends and not go – heavy personnel as much, or you would sit down uh, Antonio Brown, in my opinion. Or, I don't know if people, Mike Evans played 39 snaps. I know there was only 51 total, but Mike Evans played 39 snaps the other day, Scott. I know it was an unusual low-load offensive game, and maybe they found an opportunity to get him some rest. And I think, you know, here's the thing with Mike Evans. When I saw that he played 39 snaps, I realized that maybe he's, he actually was – I mean, I know he didn't practice some of the week, but he wasn't even on the injury designation. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, maybe he's 100%. I'm trying to watch on the tape. I did notice him like he had a block on one play and he kind of like fell off of it at the end. And yeah, it just wasn't – it wasn't a typical Mike Evans effort. And then he was kind of just like shaking his head, walking away. I just wonder if he's banged up. We'll have to see yeah. his injury, his status and practice the next couple of days. But again, it, it's kind of like, okay, Mike Evans has kind of had all these lower body injuries kind of all season long. And so you wonder if it, eventually it's going to change some things with yeah. how much he does Scotty Miller get in there. Cause Scotty Miller is closest, closer to what Mike Evans does 
than any other box receiver. I know that's going to blow people's minds because Scotty yeah. Miller is small. And uh, but, but I mean, both it, of those uh, guys are the deep threats, John. Both of those right, exactly. are the more vertical receivers, you know. And Scotty Miller is more of an X than than well, Godwin can play any spot, but yeah, ideally you. Scotty would plug in for Evans if he couldn't yeah. play. Yeah. And I agree with you. I don't know that, that Mike was at 100% yesterday. Certainly didn't look like like his his usual self. But uh, you know who's always percent, John? Briar Greaves Insurance. Briar. Always yeah. at 100%. A lot of homeowner companies, they're canceling. They're not renewing the policies. Folks, that happened to me. This is like a legit situation that happened to me. Um and sometimes those companies, if they're not reputable, you know, or they're not one of the, the main companies, they're going to leave Florida and they're going to increase your premiums significantly. So, you know, do what I did. I called Briar Greaves. I listened to Mark Cook. He said it for, for weeks and I finally sunk in. Called Briar Greaves. I spoke directly to Briar and Sam. Both of those guys gave me the personalized touch and the information on the best rates possible. Whenever I want to contact my insurance agent, I literally just emailed Briar and Sam about two minutes before the show, John. And you know when they, they replied to me? About two minutes into the show, right? <laughs> Four-minute lag time. That's it, yeah. right? I mean, that's uncommon for insurance uh, mm. providers. But but that's the type of personalized service that you're going to get at Briar Greaves. They're family-owned and operated. They've served Tampa Bay uh, for over 30 years for auto, home, boat, life, commercial, flood insurance needs. John, you just moved to Florida. I know you are this week. I'm sure you're going to call Briar Greaves and, and have them uh, give you a quote yeah. for insurance. And, and they can do that for you, too. So Buccaneer fans, Pewter Report uh, readers and subscribers and listeners and viewers, uh, heed me. Go to BriarGreavesInsurance.com. Give them a call at 813 813- 876-4166-813-876-4166. They're going to want to talk Bucks football with you. Isn't that a cool thing, right? To have your insurance guy, Bucks football with you. They're proud sponsors of the Peter Report podcast on PeterReport.com. Give them your business. Help support the companies that help support us. So we appreciate uh, their support, and we appreciate you going to BriarGreavesInsurance.com for your insurance needs. We got to talk about the NFC, Scott, and the in the Bucks pl- place in the NFC to close out this show. Uh, you know, every, every people are going to look at the Saints' loss, you know, but oh, Drew Brees wasn't there, and and I agree. You know, I I don't think the Saints are some juggernaut like I kind of consider the Chiefs, um, right. but I do think they're the best team in the NFC uh, right now. And we'll see when Brees gets back. What kind of conditions he in? How you know did the layoff affect him? Breeze really wasn't too great this season. I mean, obviously, he great against the Bucs, but um, the second time around. But I mean, he, you know, he wasn't like he was lighting it up. I lighting up the league before he went out either. So, you know, like I think the fact that's in his last year in the NFL, John, yeah, right? He does, right? He does. And uh, the limitations between him for him are way more significant than, you know, people like to put them on Brady because he's the old quarterback that's playing right now and he's the GOAT. So everybody's kind of waiting for him to fall off and hoping that he does. But the limitations for Breeze are more real. So I say all that just to say, I think the Saints are the best team, but I don't think it's impossible to beat them. Bucks yeah. obviously haven't gotten the job done and even come close to uh, the two times that they've played them. So there's reason for concern there. The Rams, to me, are the best, second best team in the NFC. But I know people, some people will still clamor for the Seahawks and a lot of people will clamor for the Packers. I am just, I just don't think that the Packers defense, I mean, they're so bad. I mean, the Lions were giving them a run for their money. And I think the Lions are probably one of the worst teams in the league right now. I mean, Chase yeah. Daniels in, and he's still completing a few passes. So mm-hmm. I don't know what to think about the Packers, to be honest, Scott. I could absolutely see them representing the NFC in the Super Bowl, 
Or I could see the Packers being the surprise team bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Um, Rogers' worst game of the season by far came against the Buccaneers. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I remember last year, 49ers, they schemed up a ton of pressures. They affected Rogers significantly in the regular season. They destroyed the Packers. Yeah. Everybody thought when the playoff game came around, this time it'll be different. And it just seemed like the same stuff worked against him. Right. And they wrecked him. And so uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm just saying if the if the Bucks draw that matchup, it's better than drawing the Rams or the Saints, in my opinion. I think the Bucs can beat yeah. Seattle. Seattle's offense has been a little bit unpredictable lately. Um, and I think the Seattle's defense is one of the worst in the league. I know the Jets didn't do anything, but they're the Jets. Um and so, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, the, the, you know, Arizona's obviously been struggling significantly lately. Um, Washington has a really tough defense, but I mean, come on, like that offense. I yeah, mean, come their, on. their like, offense does not scare me one bit. You're talking about the Washington football team. 193 yards yesterday, John. We saw Alex Smith leave after uh, uh, completing eight of 19 passes for 57 yards and, and one interception. And yeah, the, the Washington defense. Put two touchdowns on the board against the 49ers. Yeah. Chase Young, a 47-yard fumble return, and then a curl with the 76-yard interception return on Nick Mullins. And uh, listen, uh, as, as great as the defense was, the 49ers still amassed 344 yards of total uh, offense. Uh, so um, I, I do think it, it's going to be really interesting. One of the games I'm, I'm looking to see next year – I'm sorry, next year, next week uh, for – the NFC playoff picture is Washington against Seattle. And, and now Washington's won two games. They beat Pittsburgh. They, they beat uh, San Francisco. Can they beat a really good team in the Seattle Seahawks at nine and four? And if they do somehow that Washington team is not a team that I would like to see the Buccaneers play necessarily. What are the, what type of teams have given the Buccaneers problems? Teams with really good defensive lines, Chicago, New Orleans, yeah. right? Uh, Kansas City to a, to a degree with Frank Clark and um, uh, Chris, Chris Jones, Jones up front. Yeah. You know, and, and even the Rams, right? I mean, I thought they played okay against the Rams, but they still have Aaron Donald, still have Leonard Floyd. But um, if the Buccaneers somehow get up to number five, in terms of the playoff seed, they're going to be playing the winner of the NFC least. And right now it doesn't look like it's going to be the Giants. Uh, Washington right now has, I believe, the easier schedule. If they can get past the Seahawks, they finish against the Panthers and then on the road against the Eagles. And we'll see if the Eagles are for real with Jalen Hurts. Uh, but the Giants have got the Browns next week at 9-3, and three, the Ravens, who are 7-5, and five, and then they finished against the Cowboys. So I could see the Giants losing both to Cleveland and Baltimore uh, and then maybe getting a win against uh, the Cowboys. But right now they're a game behind Washington. Mm -hmm. So look out, John. The Buccaneers, who have been entrenched in this number six playoff spot for a while now in, in terms of the, the number six seed in the NFC, they could move up to number five depending on what happens. The Seahawks finished the season Again, we talked about that at Washington, and then they've got two big NFC West uh, opponents, the Rams the next week, and then the 49ers. So it's interesting. That whole NFC West playoff picture, John, is not going to be decided, I think, until week 17 because right now all three of, of the top teams in the NFC West, the Rams at number three, at the number three seed, Seahawks at number five seed, and right now 
due to the Vikings losing. The Cardinals are the number seven seed. Really interesting happenings as it pertains to the NFC West. Right. I mean, I think any of the wild cards, like I would feel you know, good about the Bucks against. I mean, obviously Seattle's to me, to me Seattle's tougher than what Arizona does. Um, yeah. But again, but they're all tough. I mean, nobody's, you know, those, the top seven teams in the NFC are clear, I think at this point, uh, who they are. And I think it'll stand pat for the playoffs too. I don't think anybody will fall off uh, too significantly, but uh, yeah, I think that the Bucks do. Yeah. Terrence says we do not want to play Washington in the playoffs. Well, I mean, you don't want to, you know, it, <laughs> here's the reality. Playoffs are playoffs and you got to play good teams. And so you better buck up, you know, and that's kind of how it is. No pun intended. And so I think that, you know, Tampa Bay's, they've got a, you know, it's about, it is about matchups to a degree, but everybody's good. And you obviously would rather play Washington than anybody else in the NFC. Like, I don't, I don't know how people could debate that. And I mean, you, you want to play Alex Smith or Dwayne Haskins, you want to play Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray, you know, I mean, or Aaron Rodgers, you know, I, I want to play a team with the worst quarterback pretty much every single time. And so, well, and, and, and yeah. I tell you, John, there was, you know, the, the last Buccaneer playoff game, right, was against, and they were the Washington Redskins back then. Uh, and that was in 2007. The Buccaneers, who had won the NFC South, they had uh, a home playoff game against Washington. It was a wild card team. And the, the Redskins won 17 to 10 that day. And that was one of the greatest defensive performances by the Bucs. Washington had 120 yards of total offense that day. Tampa Bay had 243 yards. And, you know, you look at uh, Chris Sims had two interceptions that day. And I believe um, uh, the great – Chris Sims. Yeah. Get him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to see who who scored those touchdowns. Well, wasn't Washington the game way – like 1999? I'm trying to remember as a kid. I remember watching it. I mean, we had we had no – I mean, we didn't even have cable. We had to mess with our antenna and pick up one game back when it was yeah. on ABC or something in the playoffs. Wasn't – didn't they like block a field goal to Bucks late in the game? Uh, or something I, like that? Wasn't that 99? Yes, the, the very close that game, Mike Allstadt had a touchdown. But the game I'm referencing, it was really Washington's defense. With those two interceptions, Marcus Washington, the linebacker uh, for Washington, he recovered a fumble, had a fourth-quarter interception. Right. LeVon Harrington had an interception um, deep in, uh, in, in Buccaneers territory. And Sean Taylor, that's who I'm thinking of. Sean Taylor re- returned a fumble 51 yards for the opening touchdown. And uh, that that was that was a rough game. So, as you said, John, it's the playoffs. Anything can happen. That was a playoff game that that the Buccaneers were supposed to roll over the Redskins, and they didn't that day. It was kind of some fluky plays that that did the Buccaneers yeah. in Washington's defense, very much like they they did yesterday against the 49ers. A couple of defensive scores, and uh, you know that 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 was enough to get the job done. Man, I'm remembering this '99 game, man. I was, I was, I was like eight or nine years old during this game, and oh man, I just remember the end of the game. This was yeah. the, this was when the Bucks D was great, great. They had the Washington had the kickoff return for a touchdown, and that was the only off. That was the only touchdown they had in that game. I just remembered, but yeah, that was a fun game. Anyway, there's there's playoff history there, so that would make it interesting if that is the matchup that ends up happening. But what has to happen for the so the Bucks are entrenched in this sixth spot right now, and Trying to remember, so the Bucks would have to what they have to have Seattle has to has to lose some games, right? Isn't that kind of where we're at? Yes, right now the Buccaneers uh, are. So the Bucks cheering for Washington next week. 
to win. Yeah, they're eight and five. Okay. Seattle's nine and four. So Seattle has a one game lead over Tampa Bay. I'm not exactly sure about the tiebreakers right now. You look at the at the conference record. It'll be conference. Yeah. Yeah. So Bucks well, got to win out. Seattle's to lose. If Seattle loses another one in the conference, then it, then would get interesting because both. Yeah. For example, have, if the Buccaneers beat the Falcons, then they would be three and two in the division, which doesn't really matter. But they would be six and four in the conference. If the Seahawks lose to Washington on Sunday, then they also would be nine and five, and they too would be six and four in the conference. So it mm-hmm. would go to another tiebreaker for that to see if the Buccaneers could vault them to get up to the number five seed. So it'll all be figured out here sooner rather than later. So Rams got to beat the Jets next week and got to beat Seattle when they play in week 16 and then take care of business against Arizona. Well, maybe at that point they might have it wrapped up. I don't know. But okay, so we're Rams. So Bucks fan, they're cheering for the Rams, cheering against Seattle. Victory, yeah, that's it, Terrence. Exactly. Yeah, right. So, so it was gonna be interesting. There's a lot to shake out. I'm just excited. Yeah. We're talking about playoffs, Scott. We're talking about playoffs. I know. Yeah, December. And we're talking about playoffs rather than which top ten draft pick the Bucks are, are vying for. Which which are they going to be in contention for a top five pick or a top ten pick? So it's actually mm-hmm. fun that this narrative has changed you now. And. Um, uh, I'm not saying that your arrival in Tampa, John, has anything to do with that. I'm not suggesting by any means that Trevor Sycama, um, his, you know, his to Carolina, which has kind of meant the, the demise of the Panthers organization, has anything <laughs> to do with it either. Um, it might have a little bit more to do with Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and some of the moves the Bucks have made. But, John, it, it certainly is fun. And you, you, again, got to experience Raymond James Stadium for the first time yesterday. Awesome. And, you're, and the atmosphere, awesome. I can't wait you, to see it you're all. One to know. You're 1-0. You're 1-0 at, at Ray J now, my friend. That's so. true. And I'm 12-1 picking Bucks games. Trust I mean, me. This is better. very much an outlier for me. I've never you – know, I did the podcast with Trevor, the Lockdown NFL Draft, for years. And we picked NFL games, and I was never as good as I should have been at it. <laughs> for, for sure. So, uh, yeah. Yep. Just going to keep trying to ride it. Picking the Bucks to win this week? We'll see. I don't know. This is the tricky one to me. This is the tricky one. They. This it's is the one that can go either way. I think yep. Detroit, they win, and, and the last one they win is if there's something to play for and they play their starters. But yep. and I agree with, with Raymond P. Uh, we used to, at this time, we were – we were all about draft study, you know, at this stage of the game. So it's nice to actually have the Buccaneers mentioned in that playoff picture. And John, the next game is the Falcons. We're talking about that's going to be in Atlanta on Sunday. And I wish the Falcons had won on Sunday. If the Falcons had won on Sunday, I'd feel a lot better about there's just something different when a team comes off a loss, especially in a division game. And they know they have a chance to be a spoiler a little bit. I think they just, they eye that up, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Well, I'm going to spend tomorrow looking at that Falcons-Chargers game from yesterday and, and giving my analysis as I work on my Fab Five. We're also going to have a Pewter Report podcast on Wednesday. So come back for for the, the Wednesday preview podcast where John and I will break down the Bucks falcons matchup. We'll have an injury report at that time to talk about. Is Julio Jones going to play in this game or not? We'll probably have an early indication about that. And and Rojo, we didn't even talk about Rojo's broken pinky or supposed broken pinky. We'll get an update on that. Now, Ronald Jones uh, did play after the supposed broken pinky, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe he'll have some pins put in his finger like Chris Godwin did, and they'll tape it up. Maybe he can play as well. Maybe he'll be out. Maybe we'll see Leonard Fournette back in the lineup uh, on like a, a necessity basis, John. We might have a Leonard! No, Leonard segment in next 
Sunday. We need to replace it with something. We might have a positive LaShawn segment coming. We might, yes. But, but we'll, we'll keep you posted. Stay tuned to PeterReport.com for the latest on Rojo's uh, apparent broken pinky. And uh, go to John, you got a, a Bucks briefing for us this yes. week? Yes, we're talking Bucks pass rush and the revival okay. that happened against the Vikings and how it happened. So make sure you're checking out Bucks briefing tomorrow morning. It'll be up uh, definitely before noon. And so. Scott did a great John impression, Terrence says. That was actually really good. I'm not going to lie. That really sounded like my um, voice. That was impressive. The, the great thing is, is we'll be back uh, in just about uh, 48 hours yeah. for the next Peter Report podcast. Make sure you go to YouTube, Bucks fans, and hit the subscribe button when you go to Peter Report TV. That's where you can find us on YouTube, Peter Report TV. Hit the, the, the subscribe button, also the notifications button, and we're going to have podcasts on Wednesday, John, do you have a guest lined up Thursday for nobody yet? For the podcast? Nobody yet. We'll see. All right, but John will will be here Thursday. I won't be, but John will be uh, with the guest. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll get uh, you know uh, Greg Allman, right? Maybe Greg or Rick yeah. Stroud. Or I haven't talked to, we haven't talked to those guys, all, any of them, yeah. all season. So. Yeah, so maybe we'll get another Buccaneer perspective uh, for you here on the Peter Report podcast. Just throwing out some names, but we appreciate you guys tuning in. John, take us out. Yeah, we got the big Bucks revenge game. That's going to be the, the the topic on Wednesday. Raheem Morris and Dirk Cutter with a chance for revenge. What a plot line. We're excited to bring it to you all Wednesday at 4 p.m. We'll be back. We'll see you all then. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of the Peter Report Podcast. Out. Out.